0: you thanks for tuning into the waiting list podcast i'm long long
1: i'm daniel
2: and i'm jacqueline and we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches
1: so sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors industry giants and share some good vibes hey guys i'm happy to welcome someone you're probably very familiar with mr stephen pulverant formerly at hadinki and now the founder of rhyme and reason
3: which will get to later
1: welcome to the show Stephen
3: hey thanks so much for having me it's good to see all three of you and uh, to be on the show thanks right we only have
1: one hour so let's get into it and I guess the most organic place to start would be to ask how did you get to be part of the early Hadinki team and I, I guess <laughs> you're probably like sick of now you've left hadinki you're probably sick of this question you
3: know like leave me alone <laughs> not not at all i mean it like it completely changed my life so i i'm i'm always happy to talk about it i mean yeah i i you know when i was in college thought i wanted to go get a phd and be a college professor and you know study literature and history and politics and that's that's what i was interested in doing uh but i'd always been interested in um writing other things. Like I'd always been into magazines. I'd never written for magazines, but I was always like really into magazines. I was read a ton. Like I kind of got to thinking like, okay, what, how could I maybe apply the things I'm doing a little bit differently? Um I was always interested in like fashion and style. I was one of those kids who like, you know, even when I was a pretty little kid, like I always had kind of a shtick. Like I had like a way that I would dress and it would change all the time, but I always had like a thing. And so I kind of got the idea to just like put those two things together. And I started a menswear blog. This was in the like heyday of hashtag menswear and like I was all over Tumblr, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I just started doing it and I really loved it. And I kind of thought like maybe maybe I want to write this instead of like books about Greek philosophy, you know, uh, maybe maybe that's what I want to do. Uh, so I did, and I freelanced while I was in graduate school. I had this blog, and I was writing mostly about traditional men's clothing, like handmade suits, bespoke shoes, like really high-end artisanal stuff. Um, I'm terrible with my hands, so I've always been jealous of people who are great craftspeople, so I've, I have an obsession there as well. Uh And yeah, I was in graduate school and I was freelancing a story about a watch auction that, you know, the listeners here will probably actually remember. I can tell the real version of this story, which is uh, the Graves Fullerton sale at Sotheby's uh, in the summer of 2012. Uh, And I was writing about it. And John Reardon, now of Collectability, who used to be uh, who used to be at Sotheby's, used to be the head of watch Sotheby's. uh, I interviewed him and he was like, hey, if you're going to be in New York, you got to come see this thing. Like, I promise you won't. You won't regret it. And I was like, okay. It was two days after I moved to New York. Uh, I was, you know, I went to graduate school in Chicago and uh, I had just moved to to New York and I went to the sale. And it was like the third story I think I'd ever written about watches. I think I wrote one or two little blog posts for uh, GQ online before that. But this was for business week. It was like a real story about this auction and why it mattered in watches. And it was the first time I'd ever seen watches from that perspective And then I went to the sale and I became really uh, kind of enchanted and obsessed kind of immediately. And I was already a Hodinky reader at the time and I saw Ben at the sale and we didn't really meet, but I met some other people who were kind of like around and then a mutual friend, uh, Eric Wind, uh, who I was not friends with at the time, now a mutual friend, uh, reached out to me on like Twitter and was like, hey, I read your blog. I saw you were like at the sale uh, I should connect you with Ben. And I was like, great, I'll do some freelance writing for him. And it'll be a way to get paid to learn more about watches. Great. This will be awesome. Uh, had lunch with Ben like two weeks later. And at the end of lunch, he offered me a job instead of freelance, uh, opportunities. And so I had this like pretty terrible magazine job. Uh, I was a copy editor for these like city magazines. So like, uh, they would share content, but if you would go to Boston or Chicago or whatever, they'd have their own edition with like local stuff. It's a terrible magazine job, uh, but it paid my rent. And I quit that job my third week. Uh, my boss was not happy, um, but uh, I quit my third week and I went to go work for Hodinkee. And it's all all in the rearview mirror now. You know, it's uh, ever everything that's happened in the last, I guess, like eleven years is is a is a result of that. Uh, so. That's a very long answer to, uh, to to how that happened.
0: So I want to know when you enter, because you were writing about menswear, which is obviously very, like, um, it overlaps with watches, right? But then, then you were writing about cities and like F&B and like what to do, stuff like this, right? So when you first enter Hodinki, is there like a template that you have to follow to write? Because how do you know how to describe a watch? Like what's the link? Yeah. Uh
3: I I learned on the fly. Uh there was no template. I mean, at the time the company full time was Ben and then me. Um, he literally like got and I don't think he would mind me telling this story, but like he got the WeWork office that we worked out of because he didn't want he he like didn't like the idea. Of me like coming over to his apartment every day to, for work you know he was like that's a weird thing to ask somebody to do to like come over and like sit on my couch to yeah. like blog you know that is kind of uh so yeah there were i mean there was no templates there was mm-hmm. no really anything we we figured it out on the fly i mean i was extremely fortunate to have people like ben and eric wind and mm-hmm. a whole other slew of people uh john reardon
0: mm-hmm.
3: um tons and tons and tons of mm-hmm. other people i can point to who really like took my hand and, and took me on this journey and helped me and made incredible recommendations for books to read and forums to explore and uh, places to go people to visit people to get coffee with like the number of collectors in those first two or three years who I would just be like, Hey, I met you at the thing at the Jordan boutique the other night. Like, can we get coffee? I just want to talk. Like this isn't for a story. I'm not interviewing you. Like, I just want to learn more. Um, yeah, so many people were just so generous with their time uh and with their knowledge and with their passion, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Boutros is another example of somebody I met really early on, where like I saw what watches meant to him mm-hmm. and his relationships with his family, both his father and his kids, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, the friends he made through it and all of that. And I was just like, how could you not? Love this! How could you not want to be a part of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there were lots of people like that. So, yeah, it was a lot of trial and error. Uh, I'm sure Ben logged a lot of hours in those early days editing my stories. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we figured it out. We made it made it work on the fly. And mm. yeah, it was really just a lot of a lot of to get started. It was a lot of reading books. It was a lot of like buying the five to 10, like here's everything you need to know about watchmaking books. Mm. And literally like, it was like homework. Like every mm. night after work, I would go home and like sit on the couch and read for an hour or two to to, to get up to speed. Mm.
1: Interesting. Was it really the passion and noticing that in watches that made you quit your job to go to Hadinki? Because it's kind of a bit of a risk going to a startup anyway. And then when you're an early employee, you don't know if you're going to be there for like a month, two months, you know, people come up to you with many, many ideas. Right. And well, you know, a lot of them don't go anywhere, unfortunately. So like what made you make that decision?
3: Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about the risk, I wish I had a recording of the phone call I had with my parents when I was like, Hey, so I just signed a lease for an apartment in New York. I have a magazine job, which is what I've said I've wanted for years now. Uh, and I'm quitting it to go work for some guy's watch blog. Uh, that was, they They were a little, a little concerned there, uh, a little worried about that one, but uh, yeah, it was, it was really, I think just the passion of the community. Yeah. It was, it was seeing it at the auction. And then uh, before I signed on to, to be full-time at Hodinkee, I went to a very early Hodinkee event. Uh, it was a dinner for uh, Panerai collectors um, and yeah, it was, it was just, I was like, these people are the most interesting people and they all have this thing they love and they all seem to get a lot out of it. And like, you know, I'm, I'm in journalism because of the, the writing and the journalism before the subject area. Like I, I love clothing, which is why I was interested in writing about clothing. I love, you know, hospitality, travel. I love watches, obviously, but like for me, the, the, the actual like the stories are the best part um and we're always the main driver and so when i saw all of these people with all of these stories to tell and all of this kind of like passion and energy and excitement i mean as somebody who was trying to be a reporter like you you can't ask for more than that that's that's like you know it's it's being given a, a chest full of treasure you can't you can't you can't not be excited about it yes jack
2: um Ooh. I knew you first through your Instagram. Um, mm. and because I was really attracted to the way you photograph things and the minimalism involved. Um, but then when I started reading more during COVID, obviously most of the time were spent on blogs like Hodenki and watching videos. Um I stumbled upon some reviews that you would write for press releases or, or even independents back in 2015 and 2016 when independents weren't as big of a thing as they are now. And I just wanted to say that you are, and this would be really embarrassing if I got it wrong, maybe it wasn't you, but I, I'm pretty sure it was you who wrote like a review on the Italia de Clermetri, um brand.
3: Think so? I have written about them. I'm I'm not uh, entirely I'm sure, sure where and when, but I have I, written about them. Yeah. It was
2: it was right when the brand launched and you probably saw it at I don't know Basel or probably wherever. and I just remember reading that article on Hodinkee and you said, you know, there are so many cool watches here, but if I had to choose, I would pick this. And because of the vintage omega movement the reworked um the case the design and then you actually you wrote a lot on vintage paddock as well which um i also when when i was trying to learn about the the field and and the brand so i thank you for for all the (laughs) enjoyment i i got you made it fun you know like well that's good to hear way of writing your way of writing is is different like you, you said, you know, it's journalism for you first and you like travel, you like menswear. It's very approachable. I know nothing about menswear, but when I was reading about the watches, I knew nothing about them at all either, but your voice came through. um, And to someone who was just learning and and, and starting off to learn about independence or the subject matter, it felt natural and it helped me. And I'm sure many people like me a lot. So, um, Thank you for that.
3: Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's that's good to hear. I mean, that's that's always the goal. It's like, I want people to connect with the writing, you know, and to feel like it's a conversation between friends or, you know, something approaching that maybe, but- That's the exact same. That's the yeah. feeling. Yeah. I, I just want, you know, I, I always said, whether we were writing stories or making podcasts or whatever, like to me, the- The worst outcome isn't that somebody doesn't like what I had to say or that they disagreed with me. It's that they felt like they wasted their time. Like, I would much rather somebody read a story or listen to a podcast I did and be like, man, that Steven guy's an idiot. Like, I hate that guy and I hate everything he had to say. And I can't wait to listen to the next episode so I can tell him how stupid he is. You know, great. Like, that's fine. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Uh, The thing I'm not okay with is being like, Man, I really wish I could have that 45 minutes of my life back or like <laughs> or like ugh, I should have read a different story. I got to go back to work, mm. but like what a waste of time. You know, that to me was the worst outcome. I just want to make stuff that people felt was worth their time and and was worthwhile and gave them some value and I mean that's still what I do uh in a in a slightly different way, but yeah, that's what I want. I uh, this stuff is all fun. Like we're not uh curing cancer here. We're not solving global warming. We're not you know, even like putting man on the moon here, we're we're having fun. And and I think keeping that in mind is is always a positive thing.
2: Can I ask okay. just a follow up yeah. question? You mentioned a lot of people. You mentioned John Reardon, uh, Paul Boutros, Eric Wynn. I ever since coming back to the States last year, I ended up meeting um, all of them in, in person. Mm. But it was, you know, nothing serious. It was just, you know, passed by. And what you said is, you know, you can see that spark in their eyes and what watches meant to their family or their kids. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Because, you know, now that I know them, not just by name, and I have met them before, but I haven't gotten to that depth with them. What is it about that spark that made you stay in the industry and made you feel like people here are special and different?
3: Yeah, I mean, like, as as far as those people's stories, I mean, I can let them for the most part tell their stories. But I, I don't think Paul would mind me saying like, you know, he he fell in love with watches along with his dad, you know, and it was a real it's a, it's a real point of connection between him and his father. And it's now something that he's he's, you know, incorporated his wife and his kids into, you know, he his wife is interested in watches uh, to an extent. Uh, but it's something he shares with his kids and he shows his kids, the watches and they go look at things together. And when they're in Manhattan, they'll sometimes pop into boutiques. And, uh, I believe he's gifted them watches, you know, even as kids for, for special, special occasions. And that's lovely. Like what a nice, like, again, I don't really care if it's watches or something else. I mean, like I have in my own life, like baseball is really important to me because, you know, my my dad and I are very different people. My dad's a a, a a he's he's an electrical engineer. He's a semiconductor engineer. He makes computer chips all day. Um, I can't even fathom most of what he does. Like my brain just doesn't go there. Uh, and my grandfather, you know, my dad's father was was an accountant. He was a CPA. We're very different people, but we all loved baseball, and we loved baseball together, and we got to share baseball. And now when I watch the Mets play, it's like hanging out with my dad and my grandfather in my head, you know, it's, it's great. And so again, it doesn't matter whether it's baseball or it's watches or it's food or it's a place or it's whatever. If you can create human connections like that with, with anything or through anything. Awesome. Like what a, what a wonderful thing to be able to do. And what a great way to make the world just like a richer, more engaging, more exciting place. So yeah, when I saw that not just Paul but loads of people were doing that with watches, and it it really uh, it blew me away. And and I'm very fortunate to say that I have friends and you know people at this point I consider family that I've met through the watch world. You know, it's uh, I had you know my wife and I had had dinner with some friends on uh, Saturday night where like I I met one of them through watches and like we you know met at a watch event ended up kind of keeping in touch on Instagram. And then it turned out we both moved to LA during the pandemic and are now really good friends. And it's, you know, that's one story of a million. Uh, and it's it's wonderful. And and I'm very, very lucky. I consider myself unbelievably fortunate uh, to have gotten to meet the people I've gotten to meet over the last decade plus. Uh, both those I'm close to and those who I just happen to, to have the privilege of crossing paths with. But uh, yeah
1: yeah I echo those sentiments. I mean not all watch people are my friends, but my friends are a lot of them are into watches so yeah yeah it, it, it is a sentiment after you get into the watch community that you suddenly find your your tribe in a way but just totally. moving on a little bit like how did you how did your role at Hadinki evolve from at the start just writing and then where you ended up and which parts of that were your role did you actually enjoy the most?
3: yeah, um, it's funny. it it sort of like started not specific at all, got very specific and then got not specific at all again. Um, so in 2012, when I first started, again, it was two of us. So we were doing everything. So like I sold our advertising for a while you know, like, which to be clear is a thing that like Stephen Pulverin should not under any circumstances be hired to do like, that is not (laughs) a good idea. Um, But we kept the lights on, it worked, it's fine. Um, But like, you know, was doing a little bit of everything. And then as the team grew, and you know, I left and then went back. And when I came back, it was a bigger team, a lot more professionalized, um, a lot more specialty roles. um, And I was really focused on being the managing editor, like I was keeping the website afloat day to day, that is what I was doing. Uh, And then when the company when it became clear, we wanted to grow and explore other things, you know, I got involved there as well. So, you know, all sorts of like little projects, but I think probably the two biggest ones that that people know about are uh, the Hodinkee magazine, and then Hodinkee radio, um, which were both like born out of like very silly like conversations over like beers or hanging out after work or whatever just being like hey could we do this thing and then somebody being like yeah yeah let's talk about it in the office and then we did and then it went up the food chain and it became what it became you know um the magazine was literally like a couple of us sitting around being like all right if you could do anything here what would you want to do and i was like i think we could crush a print magazine and literally like two days later, Ben was like, get me the numbers. And if we can make it work, you'll make a magazine, you know. Uh, um, and for the podcast, uh, Gray Corhonen, uh, who was the producer of that show and was uh, a member of the the Hodinkee video team for a long time. Uh, Gray and I were talking. We both wanted to do it. We liked the idea. I said, I'll I'll host it. You'll produce it. Let's make this thing happen. We recorded some pilots. Uh and then we made a show and we made over a hundred episodes and millions of downloads. And like, I don't know, some, somehow people connected with it. So, uh, yeah, my roles were really varied. Um, but, uh, I got to do a lot of really exciting things and, you know, to answer your question, like what, what were my favorites? I mean, the early days of Hodinkee were just so weird and every day felt like we like sort of had bottled lightning um it's an exciting thing you know to be in a startup where you're like i think we're onto something here Mm -hmm. um that was exciting uh and then hodinky radio you know i'm so unbelievably proud of the show we made there um gray is the the real unsung hero there Uh, i mean to be clear to anyone listening like that show is as much him as it is me if not some weeks more um he really just like made that show possible um and, yeah, and and to connect with those guests and with the audience and when I see people and we talk about, you know, my time at Hodinkee, that's usually like one of the first things that comes up. And I'm really proud of that. I think we made made a really good show that was really worth people's time and contributed something different to the conversation around watches that that I feel good about. OK, Um
1: Hidinki, as you mentioned, they had the radio, they had YouTube, they had articles, almost any kind of media form. You guys were on it very quickly and doing it really well. How, in your opinion, has the watch consumer uh, changed in one, how they consume media, but also how you guys from the other side tell stories, you know, and how, mm. how difficult it is to craft those stories on different kind of media uh,
3: yeah yeah that's a really good question um to answer the first half because that's the that's the easier half i'll knock that off first um the consumers have definitely gotten more media savvy but to be honest having written for different audiences over, over the years in different subject areas man watch people you can't get anything by watch people like the watch audiences are so smart and they're so knowledgeable like they're not just smart people they also have a lot of knowledge like they've studied a lot and they know a lot you can't get anything by anybody. I think the way it's changed is just that now there's so much more online that it's easier to become one of those people or to like go fact check something really quickly. Whereas back in the day, like, you know, in 2013, it wouldn't have been weird to be like the only person to have written about a specific debathoon on the internet. Like that, that wasn't that weird. So like there was a chance that if you screwed something up, it didn't matter online because you were the only person who had written something. Uh, you know, something in a publication, not, not on a forum, but uh, now that's not the case now. And now it's, you, you get found out immediately. So, but I always liked that as a journalist. Like I liked writing for an audience that I was a little bit afraid of. I felt like it made me a better journalist, you know? It makes you uh,
1: comfortable.
3: Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, not to, not to belabor sports metaphors on here, but like, you know, they, they talk in sports about like, you know, you play down when you play a bad team, like sometimes good teams have their worst games against bad teams because they kind of like underestimate their opponent a little bit. I always felt like that with journalism. Like I I never wanted to take anything for granted. I always wanted to assume that like somebody was going to call me on it immediately just because it made me better at what I did. It, it meant I was a I wasn't going to look like an idiot, you know, which is obviously a thing I didn't want. But even more than that, I was going to make sure I was giving my audience the best possible version of the thing I could give them. Uh, and, and I had to respect them and I had to say like, okay, I'm talking to really smart people here. I got to give them something worth their time because like, they're going to know if it's bullshit, you know? Mm. So yeah. Um, that's really professional. The... I just have to say,
0: cause it's like hmm? the total opposite of what we're like, we're just
3: like, <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> you know, I mean, like I said, like, I, I, I really like, to me, this was like the closest I was going to get to having a craft. You know uh i'm just like a big journalism nerd like i my wife and i the other day watched uh that robert redford movie all the president's men you know about the watergate scandal Mm -hmm. i'm like it might as well have been an action movie for me i'm like cheering as (laughs) they're like breaking stories and whatever like i get really jazzed up about that that stuff so yeah it was uh it was good it was it was a good thing to do and yeah the watch consumers are they don't they don't let it slide um Mm -hmm. In terms of how that meant we had to change telling stories, that gets way more complicated. Um, You know, stuff like, I mean, when we started, I mean, pre-me at Hodinky, like, Hodinky existed in an era with no Instagram, uh, whereas now think about, like, what our social media and video publishing landscape looks like. I mean, just by the nature of that, you have to change. Um, And it becomes a question of when to change, how quickly to change are you chasing scale or are you chasing quality? Are there certain things that are like, let's be, let's be honest, talking watches, for example, right? Like publishing 18 minute in-depth videos that are essentially a sit down interview between two people is, is extremely not good. Like 2020, 2022, 2023 internet, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's long, it's pretty monotonous, it's whatever. But you know what? That's what makes that show so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I don't want anyone to take what I just said out of context. Like the reason the show is so the series is so good is because it didn't try to like move over to TikTok, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like you can do great things on TikTok. You can do great things in short format. You can do great things still in stills and words like you don't need video for everything, you know, but uh, what made that so good was we like. Found a thing we really liked and that felt really us, and we didn't change it to try to like chase something else. Uh and I think that, you know, a lot of that comes down to the discipline of of the people who are still there, uh, including Will Holloway, who who runs the video department over there, who's a very dear friend and just brilliant and uh super good at what he does. And, you know, if you if you like Hodinky video, it's because you like Will Holloway, uh, even if you don't know that. Um, he's, he's really the kind of heart and soul of that and and the style. And yeah, he kind of, you know, again, as everybody was chasing short video, quick video, social video, whatever, he was like, we're gonna make films. They're going to be awesome. And people are going to watch them. And honestly, it turned out he was right. People still, uh, you know, obviously I've been out a little while, but last I checked, people were still watching and people were still yeah, enjoying. They're... So yeah. Yeah. So
1: just a quick question on talking watches. I think you led a few, but who did? Which, which talking watches? Like, did you enjoy the most? Whether you took the interview or whether you watched it as a viewer, which one is your mm. favorite? Interesting.
3: Well, I'll give you two different ones. I'll give you three. I'll give you three of them. Okay. Uh, I gotta say the very first one uh, with John uh, with John Mayer at the Little Prince in New York. Um, you know, the thing people may not realize is that morning, uh, Ben had just flown back from Europe uh either that morning or the night before, but he was like fresh off being in Europe for like 10 days. Uh, Will and I had been in uh at Pebble Beach for the Concord covering that and had taken a red eye flight back from San Francisco to New York and landed at like 5 30 in the morning. And we all literally like went home showered. And then met back at the office and shot that video. So we were all like borderline delirious. Uh, we're pretty sure that the restaurant when we had we had told them ahead of time we were going to show up to shoot this thing with John Mayer. And did we have permission? And they said yes, but we're pretty sure they thought we were lying. Like we showed up with John Mayer and they were like, what are you doing here? Like what's you want the bar? Like we can still serve lunch to those people over there. What's OK, I guess, you know, Uh it was just such a strange experience. And it was like, you know, I was there to kind of like help and just be like an extra set of hands. Mm. Ben and John did the interview and Will shot the whole thing himself. And it was like this weird gorilla thing where like, again, there's people literally having lunch six feet away who are like, is that John Mayer? And who's the dude he's talking to? You know, <laughs> why has he got a bunch of watches? You know, it was just like, it was so weird. And it was 2013. Like, it was strange. And it's a, it was a surreal thing that I will never never forget um number two was the one that I did with Renee Bayer in Zurich um the day before Basel World one year uh we recorded that um and I had been to the Bayer Museum once before uh but then I met Renee we did this episode first of all Renee Byer is like one of the nicest human beings and watches um you know his family is essentially watchmaking royalty. Uh, and he's like the nicest, happiest, most like smiling, friendly guy on the planet. Um, I I really enjoyed spending time with him. Uh, but like we had the actual Rolex that Hillary wore to the summit of Everest. Uh, I had an explorer, the one I'm wearing today, actually. I, I had an explorer on my wrist. And Renee was like, Oh, that's a nice watch, you know, whatever. And I was like, Yeah, you know, I'm a big explorer guy, whatever. And he was like, I assume you've seen the, the Hillary watch. And I was like, Yeah, I I have. It's you know, it's amazing. And he was like, You should put it on. I was like, What? He's like, Yeah, you should put it on. I was like, oh, Okay. Like, if Renee Byer says you can do that, like, I guess that's a thing you can do. And like, I got to go over to the glass case and pull the watch out and put it on my wrist, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one I'll say was the last one I did, which was here in LA. I had like pretty recently moved here. I guess I'd been here less than a year. Um and uh shot with a guy, Ruigi Via Senor. Uh he's the designer for the brand Rude. Uh he was the creative director of Bally um until recently. And uh yeah, Rue is just like again, what a like generous spirit and a nice guy. And you know, I've gotten to go to one of his fashion shows here. We keep in touch, um, and just like a really special, cool LA person who uh, I think is gonna, you know, he's already doing big things. I think he's gonna be a huge name down the line, uh, even bigger than he already is. Uh, So to get to do that with him in Los Angeles, uh, you know, my new home city, we got to shoot it in a really cool house with a beautiful view of the hills. And like, it just felt like a really nice kind of like LA way to wrap that up. Uh, And we shot that my last week at Hodinki. it was like my third to last day uh at work and yeah so the first one I did the last one I did and then uh the buyer one in the middle okay
1: that that, that moves on really nicely to my next question which is um you know you now have moved to LA and you've now left Hodinki. what made you leave?
3: Yeah. So I I moved to LA uh, mid pandemic. Um, Like the story is actually not that interesting, which is just that, like, my wife and I were living in a tiny apartment in New York, hoping to buy something. Uh, And then real estate prices went nuts for stuff outside the city with COVID. It was like a whole thing. We're like, we just need to get out of here. You know, we were heading toward another winter of lockdowns and we were just like, no. Uh, So we came to LA and we thought we were going to come out here for like a few months. And I used to come here for Hodinky pretty frequently. And I just kind of fell in love with living out here. So uh, we decided to stay. Um, And then, yeah, after a few more months, uh, yeah, I made the decision to do my own thing. Um, You know, you you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I run an agency called Rhyme and Reason. Uh, We're like a creative and marketing agency. Um, and it's something I kind of wanted to do for a long time. I played with doing it for, for a long time on and off, and it just never seemed like quite the right moment. It always felt like there was like something left to do either at Hodinky or elsewhere, or just like, it just never lined up. Um, and it did, it finally felt like the right moment. It felt like, uh, you know, both the right moment for me personally. And also, you know, this was summer 2021, the world was starting to open back up. Uh, it felt like if I was going to do it, this was the, the time to like take advantage and, and go for it. Uh, and I'm super fortunate that my unbelievably understanding wife doesn't just let me spend dumb amounts of money on toys for myself, like watches, uh, but also, uh, was the one who was like, you should do this. She was like, you, you've been talking about this for a long time. You should, you should just go do it. Like I have a job. We'll have health insurance. We'll be fine. Like, you know, uh, go do this thing. Uh, so, so I did. And, and, you know, I think it was the right time to do it. Uh, I don't wish I'd left sooner. I'm also happy. I'm doing what I'm doing.
1: Okay. So yeah, we've mentioned rhyme and reason. Um, and you've told us that it's like, you, you write stories or you craft stories, sometimes creative agency, but can you actually give us a, an example of what you actually do? Like what is it? Yeah. That would totally. So,
3: so there's, you know, there's some stuff I I obviously can't talk about. Um where it's just, you know, it's it's things I'm I'm doing and my agency is doing for clients where like it doesn't have our name on it and that's that's part of the deal. Um but yeah, the the broad stroke is and then I can give you some examples is we help brands with storytelling. That's it's that simple. Uh I wish the phrase storytelling agency didn't sound so silly and pretentious. Um, I think it's a much better name for what we do than a creative agency or a marketing agency, but it sounds so dumb. I just like can't bring myself to say it. Like I'm even laughing now. Like I can't say the phrase without being like, oh, you, you pretentious idiot, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I I basically what I want to do and what I think we do for our clients is consumers are smart and there are more brands making better products now than there have been in a very long time like we're actually very very lucky as consumers that there's a lot of good stuff out there being made by cool people with interesting ideas the problem is they don't always know how to communicate that to the end consumers especially with the consumer landscape and the like media landscape shifting so often and so uh you know i want to say violently but like so uh so strongly And uh, our job is to help close that gap. So whether that means, you know, we have some clients that are watch brands where like we do all of their social media. So that includes strategy, uh, creative direction, actually shooting photos, photoshopping together renderings, like making the assets, uh, writing the copy, managing the accounts, answering questions in the comments, uh, all of that. So we do that for clients. Um, we do photo shoots. So if you're a watch brand and you say like, Hey, we have these new products out and, you know, we need assets for marketing. Like we can say, okay, here's what we think you should put together. Uh, we do video production. We do audio production. Um, trying to think what I'm leaving out here. Um, just like general consulting. So I have, I have, I have brands that are looking for just some like strategy and direction help. Uh, in terms of who they are, how they can better speak to consumers, how they can make sure that their products are the best they can be uh, for their audiences. And I can help with that. Um, and then we do events. So that's the the public facing one where I can like give you names since those things are public anyway. So, uh, you know, hosted an event with uh, Vacheron Constantin uh, here in LA a few weeks ago. Um, looking at the the new Watches and Wonders novelties in a sort of special exhibition space they have here in LA for a few weeks. Um, and then I'm actually on a plane in, you know, about 36 hours to uh, head to Atlanta to host a, a panel discussion and cocktail party with IWC. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And for those, you know, it, it ends up being a mix of like me personally, like, being the host and doing things. And then also as an agency, we help plan those things, do all of the media production around those sorts of events. So photos and video recaps, social media recaps, uh, influencer marketing, those kinds of things.
1: The the variety of the stuff you do makes it sound a lot of fun. You know, you're never just doing one thing and you, yeah.
3: It's a ton of fun. And that's exactly why. Um, I'm, you know, One of the things I always loved about journalism is like, I never had two days that were the same, uh, and you know, about a decade, I can honestly say there were no two days where I was ever like, huh, doing the same thing again. Um, and I've tried to structure the agency. So it's that way too. Um, so it's, it's using similar parts of my brain and similar skill sets, just using them in a different sort of facet of the industry. Um, and yeah, getting to work on everything from books to events to Instagram to YouTube series to, you know, custom podcasts to literally helping some really outstanding watch brands design products, you know, that's, it's, it's fun.
1: So this whole podcast has been about like storytelling. It's a you know, yeah. passion of yours. Journalism is kind of storytelling. Um, and I do want to finish off, the main interview here with a question about stories, which is, which is the most compelling watch story you've come across? And in your opinion, what Oof. makes the best watch stories?
3: What makes the best? Well, I can answer the second part easy. Yeah. That's that's easy. Uh, the first one's a little tough, but uh, I'll give it a think. Uh, what makes a compelling watch story is is people. It's all about people at the end of the day for me. I think like, uh, you know, to me, whether it's a vintage watch that has a really interesting provenance, um, where it was owned by interesting people and then discovered by interesting people, and all of the scholarship and work that goes into then getting that ready for auction, like ultimately the thing that's interesting are the people and what they're doing and how they relate to this, you know, little mechanical object, um, and especially in in our our world, no one needs a mechanical watch. So anyone who cares about them has sort of chosen to care about them, even if it's like a sort of um like a gut thing, you've still chosen to invest your time and attention and energy in something that's like fundamentally useless. Um, and, and I mean that in a good way. Uh and and that takes a particular kind of person. And and I like those kinds of people. Um I I really like the people who work in the manufacturers in Switzerland. Like the the, you know person who sits at the same bench every day and does the same anglage on the same bridge every day and does it better than anyone else on the planet every day for years and years and years i I just want to know everything about that person like I, i i just find that so fascinating um and so yeah to me it's it's always people it always to me boils down to people um i'm trying to think if there's one that was was best uh I mean one that I'll say I'll, I'll just go to one that was an early story I worked on it was the first big feature I did for Hodinky. um was about this sidewalk clock in Manhattan um there was a jewelry store in lower Manhattan that had put a clock in the sidewalk with like a thick piece of glass over it and it had been there since I think like the 20s uh And there was a famous photograph of it taken in the 70s, I want to say, maybe 60s, I think maybe the 60s by a photographer, Ida Wyman, who's a a famous New York, New York school photographer. Uh, And it turned out the clock was still there and the jewelry store was still there. And the photographer is alive. And Ben was just like, hey, this is a thing you should go chase down. Like there's this clock in the sidewalk and there's a famous picture of it. You should go check this out. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, hits all all the buttons for me. You know, it's photography, it's journalism, it's this watch thing I'm new to, awesome. It's New York City, I'm in. Uh, and I just loved it. And it, it was such a fun thing. And like, you know, we talked earlier about like what got me to emotionally buy in, that. Like that that got me in, you know, seeing that like watches and clocks, unknowingly to me, were Woven into the history of New York City, which is where a chunk of my family comes from, and is a place I I deeply, deeply love. Uh, And I was so excited to have moved there finally. I'd wanted to live there all my life, and I I like finally made it to New York. And now I was reporting this like really New York story. Um, It was about photography. It was about um, you know the landscape of the city. It was about the role of retail in the city. It was it was about all these things and i got to talk to all the people. We got to talk to the photographer. We got to talk to the people who own the jewelry store. Like it was amazing. Uh and and so yeah, i don't know if it's my ultimately like my favorite story i've i've read or written over the years, but it's it's one that'll stick with me for sure and again, it's one that like it it sounds cheesy but it genuinely changed my life.
1: Okay. Well, Steven, honestly i think i've been blessed recently in a lot of interviews i've done because the person i've been interviewing is more pro at it than i am so i've just <laughs> sat back on this podcast and just let you get on with it and i think, uh, I think that's, that's very generous of you. a new trick i need to do and just uh, vet the, the guests just to make my life a lot easier but that was completely <laughs> easy as pie and um, we now move on to the reverso round and i'm very intrigued what you are going to ask
3: yeah. So, do we want to? I wrote three. I have three questions prepped, but uh, maybe I'll throw the question out, and you you can raise your hand to see who answers which question. Okay. Right. Yeah. We'll okay, do that. School
1: teacher, Pulverent.
3: Yeah, we'll do we'll do that. We'll we'll see that. Um, so, something I I used to get asked all the time, and I want your answer is: watches are such an inherently visual thing. Why would you make a podcast about something so visual? Why why would you do audio for something that you inherently have to see? Okay, I'll go first. So I don't have to answer no, yeah, sure.
0: But I just want to say it's like, that's definitely one of the best questions we've had. But anyways, go <laughs> on.
3: I'm, I'm just stealing it from all the people who asked me and I didn't have a good answer. So I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping you have a good answer.
0: All right,
1: Dan. Um, I just want to go with the honest answer, which is like many of the projects that you guys did where you were in a bar and then having a beer. It was very, it actually, when you said that answer, it was very reminiscent of how this podcast started. It was stuck in COVID, no place to go, we were with a bunch of friends, you know, and talking about watches. And then it was literally, as you said, with this work, right? And the the only way you really know is if you try, right? And so we tried it and again, it's just as you described the early days at Hadinki, not that I'm comparing this podcast to Hadinki. you know, I was. I remember getting the microphones, you know, from a guy in the subway because I bought secondhand microphones, you know, and and then just trying to link it together and having no idea of how to edit or how to record and just researching online and buying the cheapest thing I could find and and then just trying it out. And I remember, you know, I, I was a bit better than Ben because I didn't mind Long Long coming to the apartment and actually <laughs> trying to record and <laughs> uh, and trying to figure it out. You know, I didn't need a w- WeWork for that um but also i you know that was how it started but also i think you know it wasn't possible to meet people to have those watch conversations right and continue your your passion in, in watches you couldn't see the watches subsequently and also i felt um you know watch gatherings were taking um pace and they were happening more and more frequently before covid and now you know after covid you know, they, there are so many that you can attend to. But personally, what I find is that you have a lot of people there and it's a bit like speed dating, not that I'm a speed dating expert, I put my hand up. I've never had one, but my idea of speed dating would be, it would be a very short time with each collector. And then actually what I appreciate, what I found is the deep connections that I form with people that take a lot longer to form over deeper conversation. Watches can be the entry to it, but then it's a lot to do with perspective on life, um, what we value in life, uh, very similar experiences in childhood and or maybe in your career. And that's what I value. And I think podcast form allows you to go to deep conversation with somebody rather than what are you into? What was your last purchase? That's great. That looks good. Even though you might not think it looks good. You know. Um, and that's something I, I think I personally valued uh spending my time on rather than these short uh engagements with collectors.
3: I love that. Perfect. There we go. Boom. <laughs> I'm stealing that answer next time.
2: <laughs> Talk about the speed dating. Uh
3: all right. For the the second question, I'll say, what is your most contrarian? opinion about watches so something that you love that others hate something you hate that others love like what's what's something that like you feel pretty strongly about and you know most people are going to kind of like boo you for it
0: Jack, you want to go or
2: well you should answer that because i answered a similar one
0: last episode i know what i want to say because i know everyone's going to hate me for it anyways like i always say this and i'm like i try and like okay Two things. <sighs> like, should I say just that? do
2: it? Just do, do it. it. Okay. We judge you
0: already. <laughs> the amount of hate that we have gotten because of all these comments about Grand Seiko, like, I think this is just gonna make it worse. So obviously it's like we've been trying to understand <laughs> we all, oh, not just me, we have often trying to like understand Grand Seiko, understand like um the f- how the fans think and how they justify like it's above all the other brands of finishings, amazing, blah, 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 all this. And I just honestly cannot feel anything, nothing at all. And I have mentioned before, I think watches for me, um, as sad as it is to say, I need to feel like I had like saved up money and um, I had to sacrifice some other part of my lifestyle for this watch And so when I wear it, I will actually really baby it and treasure it. And if I can just buy something easily, walk in and not feel a single thing and just buy it, I just can't feel anything when I wear it. I know it's very materialistic and it's very shallow and all that blah, blah, blah. But that is just how I feel. And so... If you want me to put brands like, uh, like give you brands as an example, I will always feel something with a Richard mill, um, Richard mill. And then with a uh, grand Seiko, it's just like, sorry, I can't feel anything. Yeah,
3: it's fair. We like what we like. I oh mean, I'm, God, a, I'm a big I'm grand Seiko fan, but like, I get it. You know, like I, I, yeah. I love them. I own two, I own two modern ones and a vintage one, but like, yeah. you know, I get it. Yeah. People like what they do like. Steven's
1: email. Steven email Grand Seiko. I need to do rhyme and reason for Grand Seiko. Your your story doesn't connect.
3: <laughs>
1: Give me yeah, the contract. We're winning me
3: business here. That's what. That's what. This is all just a giant marketing stunt on uh, yeah, on it my is, part. Everyone, it is. You got got. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, all right. So the last one is. Uh, no trend has been stronger over the last few years than integrated bracelet sport watches whatever you want to call them luxury steel integrated bracelet blah 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 blah. we all know what we're talking about right uh by let's say like 2025 2026 what do you think the hottest thing in watches is going to be assuming it's changed by then you know maybe it takes another year or two but what do you think is the next huge thing in watches the way that integrated bracelet sport watches are the huge thing now
1: I'm so happy You're I happy. went first by the way. No,
0: but like <laughs> That's what I'm saying. God, you are essentially wearing stuff like this now. That's why I'm like this is so
2: easy for you. But I feel like what I like right now is still so niche.
3: and What do you in- like right
2: now? The bracelet is so mass. I mean, I like oh my god, if, if people start liking the stuff I like by 2025, I uh I would be very surprised it's yeah, be uh, sad well. because because <laughs> i can't i won't be able to find them anymore um well for me it's all like vintage mostly and i just don't know if the mass public are gonna be interested in vintage like the way they were interested in integrative bracelet i think that's like too much of an ask maybe like the next big big thing depending on how watch brands spend their marketing company might be like really colorful stuff. And this is kind of what we talked about in our last episode. You know, a lot of brands are actually already doing that with emojis and really colorful dials. Um, but they all kind of still have that integrated bracelet going on with them. And um, I mean, what I like is just, just way too niche. Um, it would be great if people like them, but I think if there's, uh, to like them, you need to actually like the story and what they represent. And maybe right now the world doesn't need another uh, subject of complication. They just want fun and and, and ease. So, and I, agree, I would agree with that. Um, so maybe like less serious, more fun, casual, bright, positive, um wrist objects that make you happy that'll actually be a good um trend yeah makes a
3: ton of sense to me i mean that that sounds like a pretty pretty good answer uh from where from where i'm sitting (laughs) yeah i wonder if
1: those um rubber or silicone straps you know because they're comfortable they're light and they can be colorful right and they're very visual so maybe if, if the brands but I, you know, I think the answer is also dependent on where the brands see their profit, you know, like the, the steel stainless steel sports watch, you know, the fact that it's still going on, I think is partly because the market pushes those products. Right. So they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: I have to say that I'm in New York now for, um, well, like various things and I, um, went with a friend to 47th street my first time uh my friend was like you're gonna get an experience out of it and and frankly i did um despite seeing a lot of bracelet watches um not many people are just sitting there nobody's really everywhere you look people aren't really touching them they're buying straps and um if that's not saying anything, I, well, I think it, sh- it is. Maybe people are a little bit over bracelets now, yeah. especially like Oak, uh Yeah.
3: I think the the Forty Seventh Street prices probably don't don't help there either. Uh, those those prices are like even e- it, th- those prices make Chrono Twenty Four prices look cheap. You know, uh, yeah. it's it's is rough over there sometimes.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Right. Well, we now go on to a more lighthearted round, and this time it is lighthearted, uh, the pump Perfect. push round, Steven. So, right, a couple of questions. What are your travel essentials if you are flying?
3: What are my travel essentials? Uh, I'm one of those people. I travel with two sets of headphones. Oh. Uh, the idea of not having working headphones is like my absolute nightmare. Yeah. Like, I actually think if I was on an airplane and like had no headphones, I think I'd have a panic attack. Yeah, like, it would be too. really bad. Um so uh I have a pair of AirPod Pros and then I have a pair of uh like over-ear master and dynamics uh oh, that I upgrade every me. every few years. Um I love them. I think it's the MW75s I have, whatever the latest uh over-ear ones are. Um and they're amazing. They're really, really, really great headphones. Uh I used to review headphones. I've owned like nine bajillion pairs of headphones, uh, and I really, I really love these. <laughs> um so, yeah, so that that's one. Um, I usually have some sort of, like, extra battery pack with me. Again, like, phone dyeing is really just, like, not a fun thing. Um, I have a backpack from uh, Kill Spencer, which is a brand here in L.A. Um, it's a really beautiful, just, like, very basic black pebbled leather backpack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, handmade here in Los Angeles. Um the designer and his team are just unbelievable. Uh, and I got that a few years ago, like right after I moved here uh, and I love it. I don't go anywhere without it now. If I'm traveling, traveling. Um, Yeah. Those are the biggest things. People probably expect me to say a camera, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which, which is, is actually not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm much more of a, like when I'm taking pictures, I'm taking pictures when I'm not taking pictures, I'll use my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, So like, If I have a business trip where I'm like going away for 48 hours and I'm not going to have like dedicated time to go shoot, uh, I don't bring a camera with me. It's just not, that's not the kind of photography I enjoy. So yeah, but, uh, so not always a camera, usually a camera, not always a camera, but always headphones, extra power, nice backpack and, uh, some good green tea. I can't drink coffee because of migraines. Uh, I haven't drank coffee since early 2015, uh, and I'm really picky about tea. So I always have good tea with me. Um, yeah, especially here in, in the U S like the green tea you get most places is garbage. It's just like really, really bad. Uh, so yeah, I always have some nice Japanese tea with me. Yeah.
1: Next time in Hong Kong, maybe I'll send you some tea over.
3: Hey, I'd right. love that. I'd love that. <laughs>
1: okay. Number two, one item in your closet. You can't live without.
3: Mm. Yeah, uh, people have probably seen me wearing this thing a lot. Uh, I have this gray suede sort of like biker jacket uh, style jacket, um, like an asymmetric suede jacket from a brand called Stofa. Uh, they're based in New York. It was founded by a really good friend of mine. It's now run by two really good friends of mine. Um, my buddy, Agash, who who founded the brand. I literally ordered this jacket from him like in his living room one morning. He like showed me a prototype. And I was like, I have to have one. Uh, I wear it more than anything else. It's like a suit of armor. Like I I just like feel like a million bucks when I put it on. Um, yeah, I take it. Basically, if I like look at the forecast where I'm traveling to uh, and it's not supposed to like dump rain, it's on every trip. I wear it all year round. Like I love it. Okay.
1: Number three, the last time you helped somebody, what did you do? Last
3: time I helped somebody, what did I do? Uh with
2: Daniel, I'm helping you with being on the podcast. I
3: <laughs> know. <laughs> Pleasure is oh, all right, mine. No. no. Um Last time I helped somebody. Uh Oh, I was, I mean, real basic, but at the grocery store the other day, there was an older person who was having a little bit of a rough time and just kind of helped them, you know, manage their cart and get, get around stuff. You know, just trying to be okay. a good neighbor.
1: Good. Next one. One thing you haven't eaten. But you want to try?
3: Ooh, uh, ooh, what haven't I eaten that I want to try? Uh, I eat a lot, um, <laughs> <feet>. so <laughs> I have had chicken feet. Um, what is something I haven't had that I'd like to try? I mean, like, mo- <sighs> what's a good one? I mean, like the the not a specific dish, but a like culinary experience would be like going to a food hall in Hong Kong or Singapore Mm. uh, would be a pretty, pretty all time experience. Um, I love food from that part of the world. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's the stuff we get here is pretty good, but it's not, I know, I know it's not the real deal and I'm, I'm ready to ready to try it. I've only, I've been to Shanghai once. Uh, I've never been to Hong Kong, never been to Singapore. uh, And those are places I really want to go and just like eat a lot <laughs> kind of yeah, I, myself, I met you honestly, in shanghai you. and yeah. i was
1: like yeah i met you in shanghai at a bulgari event and i was yeah. like and you told me this was your first time i was like huh really <laughs> like, i know i know, you know i it's... thought you know asia being such a mecca of watches i thought you you must have been traveling a lot more you know
3: yeah it's, it was one of those things i'm like i i was always interested in traveling there i always wanted to and it was just always with the timing or whatever, like we would always send somebody else on those trips or the timing just didn't work for me or whatever. And I just like, you know, I've been invited over the years, probably five to 10 times to Hong Kong and it's just never worked. It's just never lined up. Uh, and I have friends there. Like it's not like a place I'd go and like not know anybody, you know, it's but weirdly it's it's just never worked out. And then yeah. COVID hit right after I was in Shanghai. And yeah, uh, yeah I didn't it get to fault. didn't get to go back yeah let's not spread that rumor <laughs> it was far enough <laughs> ahead of time it's definitely not my yeah. fault
1: well trust me next time you're in hong kong long long's got you don't worry oh, when it perfect. comes to food long long is the expert you know in hong can kong. i open
2: it's... up to the floor like what's one food that you have been tried but want to
1: oh, i think long long will have trouble she's tried so much no but... i'm
0: not gonna eat like dog and monkey brain yeah like that But yeah. you don't
1: want to oh,
2: try but you that like either, you right?
0: actually want yeah. to try i want to try god i want to try
1: oh i know what i want to try i want to try monkey. on those youtube videos in the like in like on a mountain where they like kill an animal or they might have got it from the butchers i don't know and a big piece and they like do this next level kind of barbecue you know they like this pit right yeah uh, i want to try
0: that too yeah that and then great. like they yeah. cut the meat
1: off it and i'm just like it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere it looks like it would be difficult to get there but i'd do it oh. <laughs> to eat that
0: i know what i, I want mean, to try that's very simple that everyone in the u.s would be like you can just go and do it um i want to have a like a proper like barbecue like just ribs and everything because we don't ooh, get so, good stuff here right oh now. yeah
3: so i i grew up in texas yeah. so i i grew up barbecue was like when my mom didn't want to cook, she would just like pick up barbecue from somewhere. Uh yeah, it's uh oh good. When you're in the when I come to you, yeah, you'll sure. take me to to sure. the food halls. Sure. And when you come here, we'll we'll get we'll get some barbecue.
0: Okay, cool. Deal.
1: Right. Next question. Uh something you want to achieve by the end of the year.
3: Something I want to achieve by the end of the year. Hmm how uh just so much steven there's nothing <laughs> yeah no right exactly it's more it's more the other problem it's like shit what can i get done by the end of the year um yeah you know i had a really really amazing time in 2021 when i got to do uh an exhibition of my photography um i had my first gallery show in 2021 right as like we were right on the edge of things being closed and not closed here in California. And it was, it was a really amazing chance to be in a room with people and talk about art and kind of like enjoy that experience together. Um, and as somebody making work, like it's really just like a different thing to get to see people interact with your work and then to talk to them about it and get to do that in, in person. Um, yeah, by the end of the year, I'd I'd love to have another another show lined up. It doesn't have to happen by the end of the year. That's probably quick, but uh yeah, have at least something on the calendar. Just because I lo- again, I love that that interaction. It'd be really fun to like get together in a room with people and talk about pictures.
1: Well, good luck to you on that. I hope you, know, you. achieve that.
3: Oh, yeah. Very cool.
1: Right. The last question. Okay. Tell us a book that we should read and then tell us a watch book we should read. two books
3: all right a book and a watch book uh hmm me two seconds i'm gonna i'm gonna look on my shelf and see what i've read recently this is another (laughs) one of those things i'm oh you know what you know what book i'll say i'm uh i'm actually i'm not quite finished with it i'm i'm currently like 50 pages from the end of it but uh there's a book england to england Uh, by an author, Julian Barnes. Um, He also wrote a book called The Sense of an Ending that a lot of people probably know, which is also just like beautiful and amazing. Um, Totally heartbreaking, but really beautiful, incredible, incredible novel. Um, And I'm reading England, England, and given the uh, changeover in the monarchy and all of the talk about the British monarchy over the last couple of years, uh, if you want to read something hilarious that just absolutely lampoons the uh, British British system and, and, uh, British culture. Uh, and I say, this as like a total Anglophile. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, and it's, it's really just like, it's a book you don't want to put down cause you're like, you're laughing out loud as you're reading it. So yeah, Julian Barnes, uh, England, England is, is really, really fantastic. Um, and for watch books, I mean, I'll go totally shameless plug here. Uh, I'll tell you to go, go buy my watch book. Uh, I wrote with with my co-author Gene Stone. Uh, wrote the Watch thoroughly revised. It's a, a new edition of a book Gene wrote now, almost 15 years ago, uh, or a little over 15 years ago now. Um, and we updated it and and put in a whole bunch of brands that like didn't exist when Gene was writing the original. Updated all the histories. Updated interviews with collectors. Uh, all new imagery because watch photography completely changed between the two two editions. So, yeah, the watch thoroughly evi- thoroughly revised. Uh, you can get it online a number of places, um, and it's uh, you know working on that book was fun because the watch Jean's original book is one of the first things people told me to go read, mm-hmm. uh, and was a huge part of how I learned. And then years later, to be asked to uh, to update yeah. the book was was really fun. Uh, it was a real like full circle thing. So yeah. So I'd say go, 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 go pick up my book. Thank you. Right. So yeah, this was a marketing podcast for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're just selling my services and products. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Stephen. And thank you for making time. You know, I know you have a very busy schedule, so very much appreciative of that. And I do hope, you know, we, our next meeting is somewhere in Asia where we take you to a food hall or even better we are in somewhere in america all three of us having i don't know franklin's barbecue or whatever you deem is great barbecue let's
3: let's let's do both yeah
1: <laughs> okay all right thanks all right, so much thank for having guys me for... this was uh
3: really a pleasure i i appreciate it and uh keep keep up the good fight <laughs> okay
1: thank you guys for tuning in we'll see you on the next one Bye.
0: bye bye As always, thank you for listening to The Waiting List Podcast. We
2: hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts.
1: We'll see you on the next one. Bye.
0: Bye.